escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Weekend, listen to Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online. This is the Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. Welcome, I'm Alistair Bruce Ball. This week on the show, I'm joined by Guillaume Balagay, Mina Rizuki and Christophe Terreur, who've all been on their footballing travels around the continent uh, once again this week. Guillaume, I noticed on the chat group uh, there was mention of a, a little post-match glass of, of red wine with one Maurizio Pochettino this week. How was he? Pretty happy, I'm, I'm sure. Christophe, we need to tell Ali the rules about the WhatsApp oh, no. group. What have I done? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what goes no, on? No. What goes on? Nah. Till... <laughs> joking, joking, <laughs> joking. I got scared. Uh, well. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you just uh, can't reveal what wine it was. That's basically uh, the that's it. What's that? Okay. So, that's I've it. not gone that far. I've not gone. That <laughs> which far. was which was uh, which was discussed, but uh, in the group too. But but yeah, we just happened to be in the same hotel as you do. And uh, and obviously, as you can imagine, it was a, a happy coaching staff um, welcomed by the staff of the hotel because, of course, they are friends of theirs and PSG fans. Uh, Pochettino still living in in hotel, has decided to stay in hotel for now. And um, and yeah, it was a it was a nice encounter, and a way of we don't we don't know even perhaps don't think what what is it they do after the game because they we heard that they don't fall asleep they cannot sleep after the game so what do they do well you relax with a with a bottle of wine with some friends that's one possibility mm-hmm. so, so there's stories in france like in uh, like in manchester when jose Mourinho was still living in the lorry pochettino's living there already for more than six months too So yeah, no, it's nine nine months, I think. I think we should do it variety style, which is go to a club like Medellin and just party the night away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was just going to ask. So, so Guillaume's post-match tipple is is a glass of red wine. Um, post-match, Christoph, Mina, if you know, end of a game, half an hour afterwards, you finished your 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 broadcast. What 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 would you what would you go for? What's your what's your choice there? Guillaume knows that I'd go for a steak. I have to eat steak. like all the time. Yeah. Okay, with red wine. Probably without. I'm not much of a drinker. Okay, okay. Steak There is, is more nothing important. of Mina, but she eats. <laughs> yeah. Big breakfast yeah, I do too. eat a lot. As I found out in Croatia last week. Big I think he had a shock about how much I ate. <laughs> no, the shock was that an hour later we went for lunch and you ate again. <laughs> <laughs> and I had dinner straight up. <laughs> and Christoph, Christoph, post I, I go. I go for 
glass of red wine, but mm. not the one that was uh, mentioned by Guillaume. No okay. Pinot Noir for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always going for the Italian ones, uh, to be fair. So, yeah, if it's not available, I go for Spanish, but I'm quite yeah, a snob when it comes to wine. So. Like a Rioja, maybe, if, you, if an Italian was not available? It depends. It depends on what I, I just look at the, at the list and I ask lots of questions at the man behind the bar. So I'm I'm, I'm not the most uh, enjoyable customer when I walk into a <laughs> bar and I want wine. I think uh-huh. I've got I've got one more quick question before we get on with the football and the show. Although it is football related, did you get to ask Pochettino Guillaume about Lionel Messi lying down as the draft excluder behind the wall? Let's say that I found out <laughs> what happened, and I put it on Twitter that same night. Ah, um, yes. Uh, and uh, the story is that Berati tends to do that thing um, of lying down uh, just in case somebody does a messy thing and hits the ball low. This is a to stop uh, something that Messi started. And uh, interestingly enough, a writer replied to my tweet in which I described what I'm going to tell you why why it happened, saying, you know, the, the, the criminal always goes to the uh, place where he committed the crime. So Messi doing that is like going full circle. The one who started it ends up lying down to stop it. But uh, but what happens is Berratti uh, was not on the pitch at the time, had been replaced, and Marquinhos and uh, Messi spoke. No involvement from the coaching staff, and uh, and from that conversation, it's like, yep, I'll do it. Escuchas ese rugido Sientes la experiencia de poder La emoción de la libertad Ya estás preparado Para vivir tu nueva aventura Nueva Ram 1500 Hecha para vivir Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC By his own initiative He took one for the team And and of course I was surprised I think everybody was surprised In the PSG camp That it became such a big issue you know, as in, you know, it's just Messi doing it. Yeah, why yeah. not? Mm. Well, that was Paris Saint-Germain's win against Manchester City. We've obviously had another dramatic week of results in the Champions League to reflect on. But for the third week running on Euroleagues, we're going to put the microscope on Barcelona. And I make absolutely no apologies <laughs> for that because it is one of the biggest stories in town at the moment after another chastening Champions League defeat this week, losing 3-0 to Benfica on Wednesday night. That followed their 3-0 defeat in their opening game against Bayern Munich. It's the first time they've lost back-to-back games in the Champions League. I guess the big question, Guillaume, is that does that mean, you know, time is up for, for Ronald Koeman? Is, is that is that going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back? I think it's, it's worthwhile putting a, a disclaimer. At the moment, nothing has happened, but it's about to happen. Uh, it could be before the Atletico Madrid game or after, but uh, because he's suspended Kuman for that one. And then, you know, around that game, uh, you know, no time to prepare for anybody else. Uh, the decision will be made. Last night, flying back from uh, from Portugal, the uh, decision makers of Barcelona met. Uh, they landed about three o'clock. They were there at the training ground for another extra hour until four thirty in the morning. <laughs> I don't know what they were talking about. Maybe just uh, who is going to replace him? Because there is no doubt that the uh, the relationship between Laporta, who is as he's, he's lost so many so much authority in the club, he doesn't have really decisions on the money side of things but he's keeping that one for him what happens to the coach and who is coming next uh, so he's keeping that quiet but it's quite clear that uh, the relationship broke down as we described a couple of weeks ago a couple of moments if you want to uh, remember we talked about that defeat against Granada last season 
Barcelona were winning 1-0. If they won that game, they would have been top of the table and with the option of, of winning the league. The collapse after that, in that game, starting in that game, where they lost against Granada. Laporta went down to the training ground, had a go at everyone, uh, and then he realised that Kuman was not the kind of manager that works on details, that doesn't look after those kind of things that make a team good. Second case, in the summer, when he said, give me two weeks. Ronald, would you give me two <laughs> weeks to find out if I'm in love with you? Uh, and uh, ten days later, which means, oh, he's, he's, he's got a solution before his, his deadline. And he said, actually, you would do. And that's not a base for a good relationship. Mm. So it's going to finish. It's going to end up soon. But, but in your eyes, Guillaume, is, is this just down to Koeman? Is it just down to the manager? Or is it is it bigger than that? Because could you have anyone coming in at the moment and struggling to deal with what is on their hands at Barcelona? Football is, uh, is as much the results as it is the narrative as well and, uh, and the feelings that are around it. And the feelings can be created. And, and right now you don't have, you don't have hope if Koeman is in charge. Is he the, respons- <laughs> the, the man responsible for everything? Absolutely not. He's actually been very realistic. We don't want realism, Ronald. Thank you very much, but no, just give us dream. Give us, uh, you know, the illusion that we can come out of here. That's what Barcelona fans are saying, and Laporta demands that. So he wants somebody with uh, that has a plan ahead that can stay for mid-long term and then can build whatever it is that Barcelona can build right now, which is not a lot, as you suggest. But with the youngsters, with Nico, with, with Gabi, with uh, Ansu Fati, who's come back, uh, with, with Araujo, with, with De Jong, uh, the hope is that that will just give them competitiveness. But to do that, as they cannot match the individual talent of others, you need to have a manager that makes a team, makes them work as a team, a modern team at that as well. What I find really surprising is that, you know, when you're the coach of a big club, there's two things you need to get right, your tactics and your management of of the players. And I just feel like, you know, tactically, obviously, there were so many mistakes, three centre-backs taking and putting De Jong in the back that completely ruined their their fluidity in midfield and their ability to play the ball. Um, All of these won. I mean, at least I can say he's giving youth a chance. I don't know if there's an alternative to it, whatever it is, but... My issue with him is also the defeatist attitude that he's got. It's like you're saying he's you're saying, you know, he's calling it realism. Well, what do you guys expect? Like look at where we are. We right now they're seventh when it comes to their salary cap. But there is this whole I, I think it's interesting because for example, this is something that was so highlighted in Italy, is when Antonio Conte, who's always been deemed sort of a failure in Europe, never really did anything in the Champions League on the level expected of him. Um one thing he said when he was at Juventus is, is between us and Galatasaray for second place after Real Madrid, he automatically ceded first spot to Real Madrid and that was huge in Italy it was like it's between Juventus and Galatasaray for second place like why are you even talking like that and then Allegri comes he doesn't have you know he he immediately said well why can't we win it and just what you saw yesterday no Paolo Dybala no Alvaro Morata you know like they've lost Ronaldo this is a horrendous team that doesn't have a ball player and he said I don't see why we can't win it we'll manage we'll we'll make it work and they did right Yes, it's 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 certainly the case that uh, that if you actually bring somebody down, they will probably go down. If you say you're yeah. terrible at this, you will end up being more terrible than you could be. All that is true, but part of the realism is to look at, uh, and he's asking people to do that, is to look not only at what he has but what he's done in Europe. Yeah, uh, others are better. 
losing against Benfica 3-0 is difficult to explain. But in the table, they are in La, in La Liga, they are five points away with a game in hand from the top. So, you know, they are where they should be right now. And to be honest, top four is what they should aim to this season. It's just that, yeah, as, as I said earlier, people don't want to listen to, to all that. Mm. Christoph, um, moving on to potential replacements, because Guillaume says, you know, it's it's not if now, it's it's going to be when for Ronald Koeman. Roberto Martinez's name keeps coming up. I mean, is, is this a job, given the situation that Barcelona are in at the moment, that... That is that is desirable, or is is manager of Barcelona always desirable? Is that a silly question? But <laughs> it's it's no, no, I'm not going to say it's a silly question. There are no silly questions, but but you mean it? It's still, yeah, I mean it. It's still Barcelona, of course. It's uh, definitely as a Catalan when uh, somebody comes knocking on your door, and he he's always been in love with uh, with the Barcelona football. He was a big fan of of Johan Cruyff. I remember I I interviewed him once uh, when he was at Everton, and I seem to remember that there was even a picture of Johan Cruyff somewhere in, at his office. So uh, yeah, and as we all know, the current uh, advisor of uh, of La Porta. Uh, Jordi Kerf, uh, he was the best man at his wedding, so they are good friends too. Let, let, so, let me clarify one thing on that, uh, Christoph, yeah? uh, because yeah. obviously there's an, uh, is a is an automatic assumption. Jordi Kerf yeah. is is at the club. Uh, he's he's got a relevant, very relevant job, but we don't know what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> like a, a kind of uh, advising the chairman, but not exactly that. Anyway, um, he's going to be stepping aside uh, on this one. He won't get involved at all. If they ask him what uh, what he thinks of Roberto, of course he will tell them what you know he's ready for this job. But if they don't ask him, he won't get involved. It's, it's a matter of Juste, uh, uh, the, the vice president, the sporting vice president, Rafa Juste of uh, Matteo Alemán, who's director of football, and uh, and Laporta on this one. Sorry, Christophe. Remember, it's a smart move uh, from his side too. Otherwise. You get always that that relationship that has been already been mentioned over and over again is uh, that it keeps on coming back then and it won't be good for for both of them I think but anyway uh, did a few phone calls uh, early in the morning to check out if something had already happened and it's still quiet in uh, in the camp at Martinez's side he says he's still waiting uh, he's still waiting to see what happens he's still focused on the, on the Nations League Nations League com- comes first for him and then he will see but if you're looking at the domino tiles that are not now falling down the timing might be ideal for, for, for him but I don't know if he's uh, first choice they will definitely have to pay a sum of money to the Belgian Federation it's not big money that, that Barcelona will have to pay but you see other names uh, popping euros no? What? 1.8 million euros. Uh, uh, something like that. He doesn't earn a lot of money either, so it won't be a huge issue, I think. But you see other names popping up too. Uh, I wonder what Mina, for instance, thinks of uh, Andrea Pirlo uh, at the helm of uh, of Barcelona, if he will suddenly make the clock ticking again. I mean, it was confirmed by his uh, the man who wrote his biography, Alciato. I mean, it's... It's being mentioned. That's being talked about. One thing I can tell you is he won't attempt. To, he won't create a side that will attempt fifty-four crosses against Granada. It'll be a little bit more <laughs> interesting the way that they play. But seriously speaking, none of the names. I mean, they have they even paid Setien to when they got rid of him. No, How much are they going to have to pay Kuman? About um, twelve million. 
How, then you're going to bring in what Martinez Pirlo. They still have Luke de Jong. They still have, you know, these players that have to score the goals that they tragically missed against Benfica. Is it worth it right now? Are, are, are any of the names being mentioned ones that I'll be like, yes, that could at least guarantee you a few wins here and there or something or a mentality shake-up or something. But Pirlo's untested. Roberto Martinez already has a job and a lot of people have criticised him, maybe unfairly, but for not really squeezing out the potential of this full Belgian side. So is this all I, I the think, right way? I think... Uh... I think Roberto could could do that could do a job, and the timing, as Christoph is saying, is right. And they're very quiet on his side. I was in, in a show last night with uh, Thierry Henry, uh, who, by the way, uh, Barcelona has kept a file on from the times when Valverde was sacked. Uh, they spoke to his entourage and uh, and trying to find out if he was you know manage, manager material for the for the future of Barcelona. It's not the right time for him. Why? But maybe because he was amazing for Monaco. No, no, because obviously he knows the Barcelona style. He has been at the club. It's such a particular job, Barcelona, but not for him now. Uh, Roberto, timing-wise, I think he will be available after the Nations League if necessary. Uh, and I, I do believe that that's a discussion that has been had in the past with the federal, the, the Belgian Federation. That's next then week we got, as well, isn't it, Guillaume? Nations yeah, League's coming up very soon. Thursday yeah. and Saturday or Sunday, isn't it, yeah. the final? Yeah. Or, um, so... Uh, you've got that. You've got, as we mentioned, Gallardo from Riva, who is. I really look forward to seeing him back in Europe. Uh, but he's in the middle of a season. He will never leave Riva, so forget that one. You've got Xavi Hernandez, who is desperate to get the job, but Laporta is convinced that he's not ready. Uh, I, I spent uh, a couple of hours with Xavi in the summer, and he really wants the job, um, and he thinks he's ready. Uh, so, how do you know if somebody's ready? Uh, and remember, Laporta gave the job to Rijkaard when, when he came from Holland, having been taking Sparta Rotterdam to the second division and almost, and, and, and he, he you know, got, gave the job to Pep Guardiola, who still had only had one year in the third division. So he's willing to take a risk. Uh, people are trying to convince him that Chab is the man. All the names have been mentioned is Oscar Garcia, former Brighton manager, former Barcelona B manager and player. And Pirlo, as you say, uh, so I feel that the finances are an important issue uh, and the total trust of Laporta is another one. So we just can't put, we can only put names in, on the table because nobody knows what's in the head of Laporta right now. Um, if you were to do a poll of Barcelona fans, Guillaume, who, who would be the most popular choice out of all those names we've just mentioned? As you can imagine, Xavi Hernández. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. what does Xavi Hernández bring you? Xavi Hernández brings you, even though you've never seen one of his teams play, brings you three players for Ballon d'Or, Masia, the best in the world, uh, winning Champions League and all that. And I think that they get in it wrong by thinking that that's what's coming next. It's going to take a long time. Style, which is important for Barcelona so as well. is better than Pierre. Have you seen any of the games of his team in uh, in Qatar? Uh, I've actually been play? in Qatar with him. Yeah. We did a, a documentary with him and his and his way of thinking when he started as a coach. And already when he started, he knew he was or he thought he was prepared for Barcelona. He was ready for Barcelona, and he just started. But he, he thinks he's got the whole thing assimilated in his head in such a way that just it's like, let me go, release me, let me let me give me this job, I can do it. But Laporta stopped it in the summer, uh, and he was like, sorry, no, no, you're not for us. And then he, but the best solution for, that Laporta could think of is to actually keep Kuman at the job when he didn't want him. Mm. So this Laporta 
seems to be taking not as good decisions as he did when he first started, when he first came to, to Barcelona. But the pressure for Xavi to come comes from the fans as well as the media and uh, and members of the of the board too. Christoph, do you, do you think if it were to go to Roberto Martinez or even Martinez Henri together possibly, would, would, would they be able to do a, a good job? Would they be able to fix this, do you think? Um, I can't predict the future. They have they have their, their principles, and Roberto likes to be. Yeah, he, he he has built something in Belgium too. He's he's Bob the Builder, as we like to call him sometimes. So uh, he can build something. So uh, that's that's is that like a kind of backhanded compliment? Was that? It's a, it's a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just we everybody calls him Bobby, so Bob the Builder. So it's a compliment. It's definitely a compliment. Oh, okay. So he built something up in Belgium, and that's what he likes to think long term. And I think long term is now something that Barcelona need. And he's a long term thinker. He's made plans in Belgium for getting uh, this gener- golden uh, bronze generation. Not gonna call this squad the golden generation to get them involved into coaching. To, to, to make plans already for the future. And that's something that he's always done. He's done that at Everton too. And maybe that's what Barcelona need right now, not short-term, realistic uh, manager. And Martinez is in a way, he's always positive and he's a dreamer. And that suits Barcelona, those dreamers that uh, Guillaume mentioned earlier. And, and Guillaume, just, just going back to my silly question at the start of this conversation about, you know, would you want to come and manage Barcelona? I mean, conversely, actually, when they're in trouble, is that a better time to come in than when they're on top of the world? It's the best time in the world. They cannot go any lower. They just need somebody that, uh, as, as I said, that, that brings them the illusion that something better is going to come. Uh, because they, 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 you know, what, what's the worst that can happen? One thing that uh, the impression I've got from reactions abroad is that they're talking about one of the biggest, people are talking as if it was one of the biggest crises in the history of, uh, of football. You know, Barcelona have been in the Europa League, for instance. Uh, like, let me think, <laughs> help me here, Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, Inter, AC Milan. You know, so, so they, they're not that terrible. And by the way, I think with the decisions that have been made and they are drastic decisions and more have to be taken, they will come out of here and, and create a competitive squad eventually, give it a couple of years. But interestingly enough, in the uh, wage cap, they can only spend like 95 million euros, which is a seventh of what Real Madrid can spend. Real Madrid have done it better, much better than, than Barcelona. So they really are in a difficult situation. Plus, have you been to the Camp Nou recently? Any of you have been to the Camp Nou recently? No. It's so obsolete. In fact, it was falling apart. They had to take, they had to do 19 interventions this summer, so things didn't fall on the head of people. Uh, the Camp Nou is terrible, but you need 500, 600 million to rebuild it, and they don't have it. So that is the problem. The problem is infrastructure-wise, the club doesn't have the foundations to be a top club for a long while. Um, right, that that'll do with Barcelona for now. It wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about them on Euro Leagues again uh, next week. But as we mentioned at the top of the show, they weren't the only, only La Liga giant embarrassed in the Champions League this week because Real Madrid were beaten at home by FC Sheriff Tiraspol in possibly 
the greatest upset in Champions League history, or certainly one of them. They're the smallest team to ever enter the Champions League, and they managed to beat the most decorated team in Europe. It's an incredible story on the pitch and a fascinating one off it, but maybe, as Guillaume was hinting, not quite as romantic a tale as we would like to imagine. So let's bring in Sasha Gurionov, who, when we asked him how he wants to be introduced on Euroleagues today, he said, reporter for Oco Sports and child of the Soviet Union. Sasha, so <laughs> I think we've got the right person on uh, to talk to us about, about Sheriff. Sasha, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very excited to be here. And I, I was just listening about Barcelona and thinking, well, we're going to go from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other. Yeah. Really want to focus on, on Sheriff Tiraspol because... I think when people... So I, I was listening to the radio on Tuesday night and I heard John Murray bringing those scores in our commentary of, of Paris Saint-Germain against Manchester City. And I think, like everyone, you just think, wow, what an incredible story and the plucky underdog has, you know, has beaten the kind of the European giant. But it's that's not quite... Oh, that's not the whole story, is it, with Sheriff? Well, it's not, but it doesn't mean they're not the plucky underdog uh, in this particular arena. They might be the biggest dogs back home. But, um, yes, I mean, the story is... I think for me, uh, looking at... It's, it's a story is one of survival, if you like, because, um, you know, when the Soviet Union was, was breaking up, uh, like all over the place, it was a complete mess. And it was a bit of a free-for-all throughout the 90s. And out of this free-for-all, this is where you get Sheriff Tiraspol. I mean, initially it was founded uh, by two policemen. And then they basically were the two guys who survived uh, all the shootings in the 90s in Pridnestrovia. Because, you know, when former state industries... Um, get carved up by a lot of, quite often, unsavory characters. A lot of shooting goes on. And uh, because the position of the place is so weird, they kind of end up ruling it to this particular day. And, you know, once you seize a monopoly uh, in a place like this, I think it's very hard to, to, to be shifted. And, you know, it's, it's not a huge place. It's just a sliver of land. There's half a million people there. But it's quite strategic. Um, so they have the, these interesting conditions whereby, as well, you know, uh, Sheriff, the conglomerate can import uh, duty-free. There's a lot uh, to to unpack in that particular place. A lot actually comes together in that place. But I think also ultimately it seems to have been. It seems to be the kind of last remaining shard of the old Soviet Union because you know they went through those mad 90s and they kind of got stuck in those mad 90s and they just it's, it's like sasses. They haven't really moved on. And then of course you know as any oligarch you need a football team. Uh, so that's when Sheriff comes in in 1997. And one thing in Moldova is um, you're not basically supposed to put government money into football. So if only private businesses. And to be honest, you know, the central government of Moldova doesn't really have that much money. But in Sheriff's case, they do have quite a lot of money. So they're a private enterprise officially, even though, you know, it's a one company state within a state, if you like. Um, so I think that's that's where the competitive advantage at home comes from. Um, and to be honest, it's it's the model is a bit odd because they, um, you know, they fish you know, third, fourth tier. They don't, you know, get even second-rate um, imports. Um, and I think over the years, they haven't really been able to sell them on. I mean, they've sold a few players to Russia, but it hasn't really worked as a business model. And then if you look at the current Sheriff side, there's a lot of players that are 26, 27, 28. I mean, Sebastian Thiel, uh, who scored that absolutely astonishing winner, he's 27, he's from Luxembourg, he's on loan. He's not going to go to Barcelona at any stage of his career. This is about as good as it's going to get for him. Um, so, and then the, so I think... On the one side, you have the backstory, but on the other side, you have this collection of motley players who are no one's ever heard of. And they come together to produce this performance in Madrid, which is one for the ages. Sasha, um, there's, there's mixed feelings about the whole thing as, as we're discussing. But what does this sound to you? And, and I ask to all of you, it's a club run by 
local oligarchs. Uh, the company is one of the most lucrative, uh, obviously, in the region because they, they've got so many, they own so many companies of, of all kinds as well. And the soccer team is, uh, or the football team is a, is a prestige thing for the, for, for the holding. Isn't that football in the last 60 years? Isn't any club like that? My problem with it is that they kill competition in the league. They basically kill the league. They won 20 of the last 22 leagues. They don't bring players through, so that's not a target for them. And it's a shame because they've got the possibility of doing that with amazing facilities. And uh, and generally, it's all about, yes, getting that prestige and, and winning, um, winning that prestige internationally now. So I don't know what to say. <laughs> I don't know if I like them or I don't like them. Uh, can you help me, any of you? Well, if, if I were to say about killing small, I'll start at the bottom. So I'll start with the small league, killing small leagues. Um, when Soviet Union broke up, um, none of these leagues made any sense, any competitive sense. Uh, they're very small. These are very small countries. I mean, a population of Moldova is, what, two and a half million? So you know, in A, you're not going to produce any serious football. And it never had any serious football even back in the Soviet days. It had a club that sometimes went up to the top flight and then went straight back down. And then in terms of bringing the players through, I think, I think they've been trying, but just the, the talent just isn't there because, again, it's a tiny, tiny place. So, again, in, the, in this situation, what do you do? Do you just stick to trying to find that, you know, one gem? I mean, can you name me any Moldovan players? You probably can't. And Or do you just, you know, create a little, little bit of a vanity project? I mean, they abolished the, the foreigner rule I think a year ago. Uh, so now they can actually play these foreigners in Europe as well as in the home league, even though they probably don't need it in the home league. So that's that. And then back to the top in terms of the, um, you know, the millionaires having playthings and, you know, how ethically we look into it. You know, if, if you like, if you take the Premier League, a, uh, a, a foreign billionaire bought in in 2003 and changed football in this country. And, you know, he made his money in the former Soviet Union in the 90s. So what's what's their fan base like, Sasha? And if, and if you are a Sheriff Tiraspol fan, how are you? How are you viewed? <laughs> I think a place like that, football is really quite irrelevant. Um, I think um, if you if you look at the home attendances again, because there is no competition at one stage, they did get twelve to fifteen thousand, but now they don't even you know they don't even get that. But but when something like this happens, I mean, it's so mind blowing for all the locals that uh, I think everyone's everyone's involved now. Because also, I think you know, it's not just Real Madrid coming to town; it's anybody coming to town. Like this is not a place on anybody's, you know, tourist trail or anything like that. There's nothing to see there. I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons why players don't last longer than a year or two there. Despite the business, you know, aside from the business model, there's nothing there. And so suddenly uh, you have every everybody's eyes on it. Suddenly you have foreign journalists turning up and, you know, asking, like, what's going on here? Suddenly after this Real victory, I think more people will be coming over there. Guys, what is this? If anything, in a way, this worked out as a massive advert for the guys over there. What do you need to drink post-match as we were discussing that earlier? Do you get <laughs> sheriff cheese or sheriff beer or sheriff vodka. milk after a game? No, or do they have their own vodka? I think they probably have their own wine. Moldova as a region uh, was, you know, Romanian wines. It's, it's that sort of thing. So it's, it's a wine-growing region. Good question. <laughs> Mina? I was going to ask, I mean... This is the thing. How do you, when you are this team and you've won what nineteen of the last twenty-one championships in Moldova, that you manage to record things like you know six-nil victories on a regular basis? Um, how do you gear yourself up, you know, for playing Real Madrid? How do you all of a sudden turn into a team that is so totally devoted? Because we always talk about this with PSG. You know, do they face actual competition? So when you are facing somebody like Real Madrid, do they benefit from the fact that they have you know? 18 pitches, this amazing complex um, back home. They don't even need to train in the rain if they don't want to. They're, you know, It's like a cushy lifestyle. 
or is it actually and so they're well rested for these things or they know when to bring it together like how do you motivate the side well i think uh well first of all i mean local competition is no competition uh so i don't i think that they would have been rotating players quite heavily i know they've been rotating the keepers uh secondly they bring in players specifically for these tournaments. I mean, if you look at the squad that's there now compared to the team that lost to Dundalk a year ago, I think there's probably about three survivors. So a lot of these players have been brought in early this year. I mean, Vernidub, the coach, has only been there since December. So they have a certain plan for a season. Um, now, I think if they get knocked out in the qualifying stages, they might let some of those players go and just stay with us because why pay high wages for better players if you can win the league with inferior players? So it is like the, the players are brought in there for... The, for the European competition, and that's that's a chance for them to shine as well. Having said that, so far, you know, they haven't really been that hasn't really been a stepping stone for anybody. Um, but it's it is um, it is not as if these players have to trudge through like this long season and then pick themselves up for Europe. Europe, I think, is what they're there for. The other stuff, you know, they'll they'll get through it somehow. Sasha, you were talking about uh, people traveling to um, uh, to see Sheriff play. Uh, I'm one of those, uh, and. I'm asking you, people are making it sound like it's this remote place, and but still Europe. So how do you get there? Do I need a visa for uh, for Moldavia, or do I need a visa for Transnistria, or what's the thing to get there, and how do you fly there, etc.? I, so I just quickly on that, on the, mm -hmm. I think the UK website is basically like if you're there and something happens to you, you're basically on your own. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. The... Um, I, yeah, because I mean, the, the, the thing with Transnistria, I think one of the reasons UK website might say that, say that is because um, they kind of have a lot of um, structures like law enforcement that are their own, uh, that are not, uh, that do not come under Moldova. I mean, I think basically Moldovan police can't go into Transnistria and do stuff. They do their, they do their own security over there. But I mean, in terms of getting there, you fly to Kishinev and then I think just it's an hour trip up the road. There is a roadblock, so I'm not quite sure what you need to show at the roadblock. I must admit, I haven't checked, haven't checked this yet, but I do hope that maybe if they do get through the group stages, I do hope to visit maybe in February. So I'll check it out before then. Yeah, but that's a good point, though, Sasha, because they're, they're six points from six, didn't they? Because yeah. they beat Shakhtar in the first game. I think Inter mm -hmm. go there next. So I think we might we might be talking about them further into the competition as well. Well, this is, this is the thing, because, I mean, I, th I think currently, as it stands, they probably have secured themselves the Europa League spot. Um, one thing that I think played in their favour as well is Shakhtar have been quite unprepared because the Zerbi turned up, he's... Um, and trying to get them to play like Sassuolo. And uh, I mean, from what I've seen on Shakhtar so far this season, they're very much undercooked. Then you have Real Madrid, who I think looked at them and whatever, and then they get the panicky. Like as the second half goes on, you can see that they're, they're piling on the pressure, but it's a little bit desperate because, I mean, they're about to get really embarrassed. Having said that, Real Madrid seems to be get embarrassed by post-Soviet clubs on a regular basis. They lost to Shakhtar twice last season, lost to CSK in Moscow about three years ago. So maybe it's not, it's not actually a new thing for them. But I think this is this is where, when Inter come in, uh, I, I think Sheriff might be, might be in for a couple of pastings. Uh, but... The, the team they're up against really is Shakhtar, so they just need probably one more draw, or even, even if that. Okay, so going back to Guillaume's initial question, because Guillaume, you sound a little bit confused as to whether we root for them or, or don't root for them as yeah. the neutral. For, on, our, on our panel, on our esteemed EuroLeague's panel, are, are we rooting for Sheriff or are we, what are we? Christoph, are you a fan? Uh, only if the Sheriff wine is good. Okay, that's <laughs> a good answer. It's a good answer. <laughs> Mina? I only root for clubs if I can see a long-term future. And oh, yeah, yeah. stop you two <laughs> sitting on the fence. So, so for me, no, that's my no, point. No, no. I actually that's think no. Real Madrid might be more of a fairy tale, <laughs> and that's saying something. Wow. Okay, Guillaume. 
Have, has you, have your questions been answered? <laughs> Do you know what? Uh, in, in a way, you actually sometimes root for, for clubs because of the shared. I mean, everybody should be a Venezia uh, fan, for instance, because they've got <laughs> such a cool shirts. But uh, so wine is a good reason to uh, to actually be a. But I, I just think that we 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 kid ourselves uh, constantly looking for romantic stories in football. Constantly, do you want to find them? Uh, they are in the in step five, step four. You know, eight division, nine division. That's where they are. Mm. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to chip in and give them my support purely because, from the journalistic point of view, sheriff over here is great for headlines. I shot the sheriff. <laughs> New sheriff in town. Oh, is, that, all, all is, that, <laughs> is it true? Though? Is it true that basically, like, they loved cowboy? I don't know no, movies. I, I think it could be that. I think it could what, be the, the fact there, were, there were two policemen. Yeah. There were two policemen, and there were and sheriffs so they in the saw... wild west of the Soviet Soviet Union. Ah. Amazing, okay. amazing story for the name. A sheriff yeah. with a license to till. Oh, like yes. <laughs> yes, Christoph. Yes, you can come and again. you're the winner. That is brilliant. Now I'm rooting for them. <laughs> very there good. we go. Sasha, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us on, on Euroleagues. Uh, great no to learn. Great to learn a bit Anytime. more. Speak to you soon, yeah, about uh, Sheriff Tiraspol, the conquerors uh, of Real Madrid uh, in the Champions League uh, this week. So just very quickly, actually, before we move on to um, Real Madrid and a um, bit of Carlo Ancelotti and, and other stuff before we finish up, I didn't mention the quote to Sasha from Dirk Kaut, which I saw in the week, Christoph, on, on Sheriff. So it said, I know that the Champions League is a competition for champions, but teams like Sheriff Tiraspol have nothing to do with the Champions League. And then the head coach of Sheriff in response said, he was a great player, Dirk Cowd, who said there is no place in the Champions League for Sheriff. So I'm very happy to destroy his perfect world. But yeah, these are yeah, typical things that some pundits like to say. It's just, I often think, do they say that just to get the attention? Basically, it's like putting out a controversial tweet to get a lot of retweets sometimes in Punditry, they say things like that too. Uh, every otherwise, you should create a super league if teams like Sheriff don't make it into the, the Champions League. They they have gone through 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 the qualifications, so they deserve that place. What they've done in their own country, I don't think Tirka was even aware of all of that. So uh, it's they belong there now. I think mm. Dirk, Dirk needs to listen to to this edition of Euroleagues, doesn't he? And learn. Yes. Exactly. Definitely. So, Dirk, if you do some there, research. Yeah, get to the BBC Sounds app and subscribe to the Football Daily, and then you get your, your Euro Leagues on a Thursday. So, um, obviously, Real Madrid lost the game. Carlo Ancelotti not best pleased about that. Uh, not very happy either about receiving a booking during the game. So, this is what he said after the match My yellow card, the fourth official told me I had to respect him, and I told him it was my 130th game in the Champions League. It was the first time that someone this young has disrespected me. Uh, it's crazy, he said. But, um, Mina, and, and you put this on our on our uh, chat group uh, uh, ahead of the pod this week, he's not the only Italian who's unhappy with the refereeing this week. So what I'm referring to there is AC Milan's defeat at home against Atletico Madrid on Tuesday night, which came in the end courtesy of a 97th-minute penalty from Luis Suarez, what what was what was the what was the story around the refereeing of the game and what's what's the reaction been in Italy to that? 
Yeah, I think with there's a difference because with Carlo Ancelotti, I think he just sort of is a sign of disrespect. Like, how dare you speak to me like that? It's maybe like an ego thing. But for Milan, it, it's something that has been discussed nonstop. Um, what I do enjoy is I'm one of those people who's like a sucker for the comments onto the articles of Gazette de los and all of those, like you know, the, you know, where sort of like the trolls hang out, and everyone thinks that the reason for this is because the referee who was who is Turkish um, was really upset by the Euro loss <laughs> when Italy defeated them. And this is why he's taking it out on them. But I think that when you look at Atletico Madrid, Milan were so superior in terms of their pressing, their game, their organization, their fluidity. And then they felt that Kessia's second yellow card, which obviously made sure he was sent off on the 29th minute, was far too harsh. But if you even put that aside, it was still like, okay, this is a remarkable performance. And then here we are. It's so many added minutes, which was not necessary. And then you decide to give a penalty when it clearly looked like there was sort of a melee between Thomas Lamar. Um, and you, you, you know, you don't know where the ball and of who it came off. So for you to then award a penalty to Atletico Madrid in that last moment to deny Milan any points in a game that, for honestly speaking, they were so superior in, it just seemed like this is just another way of punishment. And they've gone through basically this particular referee's 32 games in charge of Italian clubs in which 18 of them ended in defeat. And they started looking at 2015 Champions League final between Juventus and Barcelona when Dani Alves fouled Paul Pogba. It wasn't even considered a foul. It should have been a penalty, they said. Um, ended up in, in obviously Suarez getting a goal. Then they talked about how often Napoli seems to lose under this coach. Uh, the fact that he was in charge of uh, the Azzurri, the national team's um, playoff loss. Uh, when they were trying to qualify for the World Cup against Sweden. And they just basically started rattling through it. But when you do look overall, and I know it sounds like I'm being a conspiracy theorist here, and obviously that is not my intention. I just think it's obviously a lot of coincidences coming mm -hmm. too. But you did feel a lot of times that sometimes it has been harsh, harshly done by when it comes to Stop refereeing. It. Stop <laughs> it. Stop <laughs> it. Anyway, the... Uh, I mean, Ronaldo the, uh, has uh, never been sent off, but he was sent off in his first match against Valencia for, for what, dangerous everything. play. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Well, I was at, uh, at Juventus-Chelsea, and, uh, and this is relevant for the, for the context, uh, because... The sound is the stadium is fantastic. The Allianz now uh, it's it's it's, it's lovely to walk world. around to, to sit there. Uh, the noise uh, because it's, it's kind of built upwards. The noise is is is, is huge, but they, there's nothing that gets the fans more wound up than a controversial referee decision. That's the thing that's they stand up, <laughs> they stand up and shout and shout and make movements with their arms and talk to each other because of. You know, uh, uh, an offside that no, well, no offside because now you can actually check that one. But you know, a foul in the middle of the park. Of the park. What I'm getting at is that I think it's a very big Latin thing that we all think. Mina, tell me if I'm wrong. We all think that authority are there to take advantage of you to actually. I know, Kim, uh, but I think you you're, actually, you're coming from and the a first, place. And the first, but the first reaction when we think of authority is that they are not with us. They're after us. They're going to try to get us. And then in yes, football, when, as because we are 12-year-olds, when we think of football, it just becomes even more extreme, no? I, I think, listen, you're coming from a place where Real Madrid has won 
against Bayern Munich, perhaps sometimes, you know, with a little bit of refereeing help, where you're also in charge of covering Barcelona, who, let's not forget that Didier Drogba, like Madness episode at Chelsea, who, you know, know how to surround the referee and get the things that they need to get. But I think for the Italians, when you're looking at the things that they've been handled, like the way, listen, at the end of the day, they can't complain. Lazio deserved to be thrashed by Bayern Munich last season. But there are episodes where you just feel like, I mean, you're just piling on now. There are episodes when Real Madrid were offered that last minute, last minute penalty. Again, I could probably tell you on that occasion against Real Madrid when Gigi Buffon went absolutely crazy and started calling Who's the, the person organizing all this? Who's the person organizing? Is it in a room? Do they meet in a city once a week? And we say, right. All they wanted, so listen, all they wanted was... This, gonna, what, what, what was that? All that they from? wanted How was they for it? the referee to have gone and checked with VAR. Isn't this the whole point that we have, VAR? That, you know, to check whether the penalty should have stood. And I think that if Milan, more than all the other Italian teams, forget Inter, forget Juventus, forget, you know... It's a real shame that they have played two amazing matches. And I know they were completely trashed by Liverpool in the first half. But for you to, to have zero points, I don't know. We, it we, seems a little bit unfair. We, we put this in at the end of the show for a sort of nice, cheery chat and finish. And it's descended into a massive <laughs> row about decisions that have gone down well, the yes, years. I between. Mean, he's in charge of Barcelona yeah, and yeah. Real Madrid. Um, Christoph, what's, 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 the more, what's the more laid-back Belgian approach to, to refereeing and refereeing decisions? Well, I think uh, Carlo Ancelotti was right uh, when he uh, when he called out uh, the Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Belgian fourth referee, because the Belgian referees don't have a good reputation either, but I think we don't dwell on, we just forget it we don't make lists uh, some managers like to do it and i think managers encourage uh, fans to make lists like that too by putting things on websites like conspiracy against my club <laughs> this and conspiracy made my club just get on with it you can't i, I when i still play football i didn't waste any energy on the referee because couldn't change anything he made a decision it can be wrong move on and that's how we tend to deal with referees just move on and don't dwell on with long lists like Mina does uh, <laughs> she will even say uh, Juventus 2002 that game which referee was in charge and Listen, where he made the mistake how many Champions League finals have you been to and realized that you've not won none of them? I feel like I've started to think that maybe I'm the curse. So I've not, I'm not going to uh, go to any finals with Juventus in them. But but it's, of, it's, it's often about, though, often about as well, isn't it? The teams that play the referees well. It's about making friends with the referees and turning them into your pal and making them feel like you're on a level. I mean, who are the yeah. best players in the world at doing that? Do you know what I mean? So you're having a little Sergio chat in Busquets. the tunnel. Busquets. Is he really? Okay. Okay. No, I mean, I just remember that part the, where he just, you know, because, fell off and then started covering his eyes and I thought, oh, he's yeah. fantastic in that, yeah. you know. But, but building that relationship so decisions go your way. So even if the first couple go against you, you know you're going to get one further down the line. There are masters of the art of, that's, of that. That's, that, that's, a, that's football. That is football. John Terry used to do it. Frank, nice Franz Lampard used to do it. Um, Bonucci and Chiellini. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, they really do. Oh, the Chiellini really smile. Do. I love the Chiellini you know, smile. Yeah. But, but the, the thing that the thing that and this is the last thing I'm saying about this. But the thing that worries me about thinking that authority are always gonna go and get you 
is that that's either the collapse of society, if you don't trust an authority at all, well, where are you building? Or a sign of a society collapsing, where you think, like, nobody's to be trusted. So it, it, is, it is a dangerous game, but a very, very Latin thing to do. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm the referee uh, today. I'm blowing the full-time whistle, and I know that post-match I'm taking Mina for a steak, uh, <laughs> Guillaume's having a glass of Pinot Noir, and Christophe, an Italian red if we can find it, but we could have Spanish, but there's going to be lots of questions about it, and I've, I've still got quite a lot of work to do to sort that one out. <laughs> you forgot the sheriff wine that we might get. Yeah, that's yeah, true. let's go for that. Well, we'll give it with Sasha. That's for Sasha. That's for Sasha. Am I the only one eating? Oh, no, no, Mina, definitely going to join you on, on food as well, <laughs> definitely. But we won't be eating again, like, half an hour afterwards. Once we've eaten, yeah, that's right, we're, we're done, we're done. <laughs> Got to find some other people. <laughs> um, Guillaume, Balagay, Mina Rizuki and Christoph Terreur, thank you very much uh, for your excellent company on the show as always. Thanks for listening to The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM. The podcast will be available online at myjoyonline.com in 30 minutes. This production was powered by Joy Sports and supported by the BBC World Service. This is an ad about the fans. They are good pay tomorrow fans. The money no be problem fans. There we go score you fans. The sports fans. Bet of Africa is an online sports betting experience that gives you the chance to turn your game and player predictions to wins. All you have to do is register an account with Bet of Africa and get your first bet free. You also get 100% on first deposit up to 1,000 Ghana cities. Bet of Africa day your corner, your ring, your center circle, your goalpost, your pocket. With Bet of Africa, there's more to every game because when their teams win, they win. Download the app now and stand the chance to win with your team. Choose Bet of Africa. Terms and conditions apply. This advertisement has been vetted and approved by the Gaming Commission of Ghana. Bet responsibly, not for persons below 18 years. Gaming can be addictive. This is where it's at. It's your action-packed weekend radio.
Sí, 